Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. You know what time it is. That's right. It's time to play Clean or Unclean. You didn't say it with me. You didn't know that this was happening. That's okay. It's time to play Clean or Unclean. Yeah. The only game show based on Leviticus 11 that I know of. From this week's Parsha, I'm your host, Rabbi David. Let's meet our contestants. Hi, what's your name? I, I don't know what that was. <laughs> All right, uh, I heard Blurdity Blur. And uh, where are you from, Blurdity Blur? Richmond, Virginia. Well, uh, I love that area. Excellent. Well, welcome to the show. Let's play clean or unclean. The game is simple. I'll show you a food and you tell me if it's clean or unclean, kosher or trace, love it or leave it, fit for eating or forget about it. You got it? Okay. This is all according to Leviticus 11. So let's take a look. First up, Mr. Piggy. <laughs> clean, unclean. I see a lot of uncleans. Okay. Forget about it. Nice. We have some, someone, that's not from, you're not from Richmond. That, that, they wouldn't say that. Okay. That's right. Unclean. For a bonus Torah point now, what is the criteria for land animals such as Mr. Piggy to be clean, thus rendering our friend Mr. Piggy verboten for Israel? What is the rule? Divide the hoof. And chew the cud, whatever that means. All right, now it's time to check the tour. It's like you guys have never been in this show before. All right, it's time to check the Torah. All right, let's check the Torah and see if you're right. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, these are the living things which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever has a split divided hoof and chews cud among the animals, that you may eat. And then a little bit later, verse 7, the pig, though, it has a split divided hoof, but does not chew the cud. And so it is unclean to you. All right. So those of you who answered that correctly get a bonus Torah point, which you can redeem somewhere. Okay. Chewing the cud. What does that mean? It means eating it, ruminating a second time, basically. Uh, and, and it usually means uh, that they're eating grass or something vegetarian. So this includes animals like the deer, the cow, and the sheep. Okay. All right. Let's go to uh, the ocean now. All right. How about this fella? Mr. Octopus. Clean or unclean? <laughs> Jason, you are not allowed to play anymore. That's right. Unclean. Okay. For a bonus Torah point, what makes it unclean? Fins and scales? I'm, I'm seeing this. 
Are those, what is that? Those are fins. I couldn't tell if those were fins or gills. Okay, so it's time to check the Torah. I don't know about you, but I'm having a lot of fun up here. Okay, let's check the Torah. But any, this is referring to animals in the water, any that do not have fins and scales in the seas or the rivers among those that swarm on the waters or among any of the living creatures that are in the waters, they are loathsome to you. Leviticus 11.10. All right. <clears throat> Bless you. All right. And this is our, uh, our final animal here. Uh, next up, we have... Mr. Chicken, isn't that a beaut? Yay. All right. Clean or unclean, folks? That's right. Clean. Now for a bonus Torah point, what is the rule that makes the chicken clean? Hmm. He's cute. If it's cute, it's clean. That's why you're clean, Jason. Okay. Um. Well, let's... If we don't know, it seems like we're a little unsure. Let's check the Torah. Okay, Here, here's, here's the Torah. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, nothing about a chicken from the Torah. Well, that is, that is unusual. Seems it was a trick question. So the Torah for, uh, for the birds, for the things in the air, that category has a list of a bunch of birds that are unclean, such as owls and ravens. And there's no simple rule like with the sea animals and the land animals. If it's not on the list of unclean, that means it's clean. So because the chicken isn't on there, it's uh, it's deemed clean in, in Leviticus 11. All right. Now. We're going to go into the final lightning round where every question is now worth two Torah points. Okay, here's the final question. <clears throat> According to this week's Parsha, what happens if an unclean animal or animal carcass falls into a clay pot? Do, 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 do. Are you making your wagers? <laughs> are you, are you? <laughs> Are you buzzing in? <laughs> Roberto, yes. <laughs> you can't just do the sound. You have to answer the question. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's check the... Oh, wait. Let's check the Torah to see if you're right. All right. Now, if... <laughs> quiet, you. Can we have him removed? <laughs> He's making the bell sound. He's the usher. You can't, you need the usher to remove the usher. That's a contradiction. All right. Now, if any of them, that is an unclean animal, falls into a clay pot, everything that is in it will become unclean. And you are to break it. Sounds very dramatic, right? Any food that may be eaten normally in it, but has water on it from such a pot will become unclean. Also, any drink that may be drunk in any such pot will become unclean. Everything on which part of the carcass falls will become unclean. An oven or stove for pots is to be broken in pieces. They are unclean and will be unclean to you. Well, I guess it's pretty clear that they're unclean. I mean, if you weren't sure, you got that repetition in the Torah. Okay, so let's see how many points you have with a total of five Torah points. 
You all are the winner. Congratulations. What are you going to do now, Eric? That's I, I knew you were going to say that. He's going to Disneyland. All right. Now, every, every uh, game show, if you ever watch them, they all have disclaimers, right? They all have fine print. So this is my disclaimer for this game show sermon today. I'm going to be talking about kosher and Leviticus 11. Uh, now, Leviticus 11 is the basis for what is considered kosher in modern Judaism, and it's a little bit complicated. So I'm not going to be going all into that. That's probably another separate sermon. But I'm going to go into the Leviticus 11 text and what is the 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 foundation for what is now considered kosher. Because, you know, when you go out into the grocery store and it says kosher, it means something a little bit more than just, just uh, according to this Torah. Does that make sense? Okay, so uh, let's uh, let's keep going here. So we've learned a little bit about what makes an animal clean, but the question the rabbis asked is, what do you think they asked? Why? Why these animals in particular? What is the meaning behind these laws? What's so important about splitting a hoof and chewing the cud? You know what I mean, right? Why is that important? Well, the medieval rabbi Maimonides, who was also a physician in Egypt in the 12th century, said this was written in the Torah because he was a doctor. So he's looking at it. He said this is because of health, right? Okay, you can make a case for that. Unclean foods perhaps are not always so healthy, like our friend, Mr. Piggy, right? It's unclean, but it's also uh, the pig eats all kinds of stuff, right? And when you eat the pig, you're eating everything that the pig eats. Um, so you could make a case that there's a there's a health reason in there. Um, but, you know, there are many cultures that eat unkosher seafood, like in Asia, and a lot of them are pretty healthy, I would say. So, um, so maybe it's not the best reason. It's also kind of shallow, right? And, uh, you know, what we like to do as Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles, what do we like to do? go beneath, right? We like to dig, right? Get get to the heart of the matter, right? Not enough just for, for this surface stuff. So the rabbis noticed the relationship between the kosher laws and creation. Perhaps you noticed that when we were playing our game. Notice the categories in the earlier game. What do we have? We had land, sea, and sky and air, right? And the creatures within them. This points back to what was going on in creation with order and distinction. God created distinct identities in the creation to reproduce after their own kind, as it says in Genesis, to fill the created universe within these three tiers uh, in an ordered way, right? There was land, sea, and sky to bring order to what was before Chaos, right? Waste and wild. Tohu vavohu. With no distinctions or design. So now we have to think about what was the original diet for humans, right? Think about like what did Adam eat? What did Noah eat? This diet was the most respectful for the created order, according to Genesis. What were we supposed to do? We were supposed to steward the lives 
of all the other living things on the earth. And what was that? What did that look like? What was that diet? Vegetarian. That's right. See, you thought vegetarian was a new fad. Is that what you thought? Well, <laughs> I'm telling you, folks, it is as old as Adam and Noah. Doesn't get any older than that. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. So let's take a look at uh, some food instructions for Adam uh, and Eve and for Noah. Then God said, I have just given you every green plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the whole land and every tree which has the fruit of a tree yielding seed. They are to be food for you. Nothing about animals or anything like that. And then to Noah, there's a, a, a little bit of a concession here, but it's, uh, it's along the same lines. Every crawling thing that is alive will be food for you, as are the green plants. I have now given you everything, only flesh with its life. That is, it's blood you must not eat, right? So it's, uh, it's kind of going in the same direction, but it shows a respect for life. It shows a respect for the created order in Genesis. Does that make sense? So the kosher laws in Leviticus 11 can be seen as a further revelation about our relationship with the animals, right? In God's perfect garden, in, 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 in the garden with Adam, there's no need for death. There's no need for animals to die in order for there to be life. But gradually, we see there are concessions made while still respecting the created order. But there is a sanctity of life and the sanctity of um, the blood, which is the life is in the blood, we know, um, that is maintained. The rabbis noticed that a lot of non-kosher animals are carnivores or scavengers themselves. So the animals that are not kosher are um, not vegetarian, right? But the animals that are kosher tend to be vegetarian, just like Adam and uh, Noah was like vegetarian light, right? So it goes back to those ideas. Um, uh, it follows the, the ideal from creation of, of eating only animals that are vegetarian. Literally in the Hebrew, when it says that the land animals are clean, it says they chew the cud. The Hebrew says something like they are, uh, they chew the chew. Or I liked uh, one rabbi said they were chew chewers. Choo-choo, right? That's kind of fun to say. And the unclean land animals are life chewers, right? Because they're devouring life. So it's, it's pointing to, to a kind of a sanctity of life and a sanctity of order and, and the, the, the life is in the blood that goes back to the order of creation. The Levitical laws in this week's Parsha are a continuation of the respect for life. And they also point toward shalom peace right because if there's no killing right if no animals are killing other animals then there is peace right and there's uh, there's peace in under the kingdom of god and there's a there's a wholeness um in the restoration of the animals uh of the the order like eden there's a a future picture put forth um by um isaiah in chapter 11 and it, and it points toward a future um, with animals and shalom. I want to read this. Uh, feel free to read it, read it, lift, read it with me if you'd like. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the kid. Uh, 
The calf and the young lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play by a cobra's hole, and a weaned child will put his hand into the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of Adonai as the waters cover the earth. Notice in that in the messianic age of Shalom, the unkosher animals like the bear and the lion, what do they become? They become friends and they become vegetarian, right? Like all the kosher animals. So we see that that's more of the ideal. They're becoming docile. They're becoming, they're moving toward life and not toward destruction. So <clears throat> let's go over, over our rabbinic responses as to the why of the kosher laws that we've uh, looked at so far. First, we see on the surface level that it's, you know, it's healthy, right? But as we look deeper, we see that it reflects the order and distinctions and value of life in creation. And it looks back to the vegetarian diet of Adam and the vegetarian light diet of Noah. And it looks forward to the shalom between all creatures, especially the predatory ones. Now, <clears throat> let's take a step back a moment and think about what we're talking about. What are we talking about here? We're talking about food. We're not talking about something especially spiritual, right? Like loving your neighbor. We're talking about what we put into our bodies. And we realize this fact from the Torah. God cares about what we eat. Isn't that interesting? What we ingest. What does that tell you about the nature of God? It means that God is intimate. He cares about the everyday things. He cares about the big picture, but he cares about the, the details and the everyday things. He wants to be intimate. He wants to be involved in our lives. I like to watch uh, cooking competitions and often aspiring chefs and cooks will talk about, excuse me, will talk about the immense honor and mantle it is to prepare food for someone else, something that others will put into their bodies. They, they say often that they don't take it lightly. They understand that it's a, an intimate thing. Um, and it's personal. Back when I was uh, dating my now wife, I went to visit her after a challenging day of teaching. And uh, she just uh, whipped up something for me to eat. She was like, oh, it's no, no trouble. And uh, after I took the first bite inside my own head, I said, I believe I have to marry this woman. Because it was not only, you know, delicious, of course, but uh, it was the act of care and compassion that she took, uh, that she made something that would, you know, that I would ingest. And uh, she, it was part of like, you know, helping me with my hard day. And it was all, it was an act of empathy and it was all rolled up into this, this one act of just making dinner for me. And uh, so we see that if God is involved in our food, God wants to be what? God wants to be near to us. God wants to be involved in our personal relationships. God wants to be involved in our time management, in our day-to-day -day issues, in our frustrations, in our small victories. You know, 
I really don't do this with many people, but I like to be really close to my son's face. And um, yesterday he found a new game where he would, I was holding him right here and he would grab my nose and, uh, but really gently, he's learned to, to do it gently most of the time. And, uh, and I would make a noise, you know, like, honk. like as long as he held it there, I would try to make a noise and he would laugh and laugh. And um, it was really, really beautiful. But this came about this, this moment came about because we were spending time together and because we were close. <clears throat> and this is how God wants to be with us. And over time, this changes us. So the question is, if you know God wants to be involved intimately with your stuff, if you know that God likes being close to you, how does that affect your life and your day-to-day -day decisions? Something to think about. And this brings us to another reason for the Levitical laws of clean and unclean animals. Holiness, which we, we mentioned earlier. Um, but let's take a look at a verse that concludes all of these laws. This is after it explains all of the, all of the animals. Still in Leviticus 11, starting in verse 44. For I am Adonai your God, therefore sanctify yourselves and be holy, for I am holy. You are not to defile yourselves with any kind of creeping thing that moves on the earth. For I am Adonai who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, therefore you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the Torah or the law of the animal, the bird, every living creature that moves in the waters and every creature that creeps on the earth to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living things that may be eaten and the living thing that may not be eaten. You see, in Leviticus, there are categories of status that are important to understanding the worldview here and the text. You have the status of clean and unclean, which you guys are very good at. You have at least five Torah points on there. And, uh, and then you have realms. You have the realm of the holy and the realm of the ordinary. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with something being unclean, usually, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with being a bear, right? It's just unclean for, for eating. <laughs> but the bear is fine, right? You know, the pig, we, we don't hate Mr. Piggy. We just uh, consider him unclean in holy space. So the problem is you can't have something be unclean in a realm that is holy. Does that make sense? You can't have something that is unclean in a realm that is holy. Holy, kadosh, is a complex word. It means set apart. It means unique. It means radiant, right? Radiating with the presence of God um, and distinct for a particular purpose. Uh, the foods that are clean in Leviticus are allowed to be ingested by a holy Israel. And uh, if it's unclean, it can't be in holy Israel, right? Um, this, this goes for other things as well. Um, a holy priest, if a priest is clean, right, they can be in the tabernacle or the temple, which is holy space. The transgression of these boundaries that link back to creation, bringing an unclean item into holy space is not allowed. Israel as a people is supposed to be clean, devoted to God and morally upright in order to inhabit, to be in the space of the holy land of Israel. 
What happens when they're not? What happens when they worship other gods and they make themselves unclean and defiled? <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> Instead of a word, Eric just went, right. Exile, right? We're kicked out of the land because the land is holy. It's Jerusalem is holy. The temple is holy. It's set apart. It's special. It's unique. It radiates with the presence of God. And so it has to have things that are clean within it. The consequence for being unclean, as we said, is what? Exile. Remember, as we saw with Noah, life is connected to blood. So in the rest of Leviticus, we also see this working out, right? If you have a, a body fluid like blood leaving the body, that's the exiting of the life force, right? That's moving toward death, and that makes you unclean. If a priest contacts a dead body or a bodily fluid like blood, what happens? They're unclean, right? Which isn't terrible. It just means they can't do what? They can't go into the temple. They can't go into the tabernacle in an unclean state. They have to be purified. So these are the categories that we understand from Leviticus, right? That, uh, that helps us understand the, the, um, the kosher laws and, and really the whole Bible. Israel is called to be holy, as we saw in the Torah. Why? Why did, why did God say you are to be holy? Because he said, God is holy. He said, I am holy. And this is one of the major reasons for the kosher laws, the uniqueness of Israel among the nations. Noah and Adam did not have these restrictions, right? They represent the nations. Although there was a mention of the respect for life and the natural order of creation in Genesis for Adam and for Noah, this in particular was the distinction of the Jewish people as holy. This is reflected in the decision by the leaders in Acts 15 to the Gentiles and Messiah. They write them a letter, and this is what they say. It seemed good to the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and to us to not place on you Gentiles any greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. By keeping away from these things, you will do well. So nothing about the other kosher laws, nothing about Mr. Piggy or anything like that, right? But uh, there is the basic food respect that, that applied to who? That applied to Noah, right? The basic food respect and animal respect that applied to Adam, right? But we see that the Torah, especially these kosher laws, do apply to Israel. Of course, if there are Gentiles who are part of a Messianic Jewish community, as with the God-fearers in the community of the time of Acts, they would come alongside the Jewish people in the congregation. And so they wouldn't be roasting Mr. Piggy all up in the synagogue, right? We wouldn't see that happening. I hope no one brought Mr. Piggy for our own egg today. Jason, see me after class. Okay, he's raising his hand. <laughs> so here's one of the reasons why kosher law exists. It's part of God's covenant with Israel. Distinct identities are part of the beauty of God's diverse creation. His ultimate goal, as we have seen, is for 
the kosher animals and the unkosher animals to have harmony, for there to be harmony and unity between Israel and the nations, between male and female, and the other distinctions that are made in Genesis. Harmony, however, doesn't mean that everyone is the same. Harmony means that we prioritize the kingdom of God and we work together out of our unique calling and identity. The unique parts of the body of Messiah can and should be celebrated. Let's go back to the categories for a moment of clean and unclean. As we saw in the bonus round of the game, the natural flow is that if something is unclean, right? If it falls, if an unclean animal falls into a pot, what happens? It, the pot becomes unclean, right? That's the natural flow. At least that's usually how it works, right? However, there's an inkling that God can reverse this direction and move from something that is unclean and defiled to something that is clean by the power of his holiness. It's quite remarkable. He can go from normal to holy, and he can go from death to life. Let's take a look at this image of a new temple predicted by Ezekiel in chapter 47. Notice there's a lot of references here to the Genesis creation story. This passage is actually referring to a river that flows out of the temple, from the temple, the presence of God, and into uh, what's called the Dead Sea in Israel. So-called because there's currently no living fish there, and also uh, you can actually float in it. How many of you have ever seen that or, or maybe been there? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, so this is uh, referring to a river that flows from the temple into the Dead Sea in, in Ezekiel 47. Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. When I had returned, behold, there were very many trees on one side and on the other along the bank of the river. Then he said to me, these waters go out toward the eastern region. They go down to Arabah and enter the sea. When they arrive at the sea, the waters of the sea will flow and will become fresh. It will be that every living creature that swarms that will live where, wherever the water rivers go. There will be a very great multitude of fish because this water goes there and makes the salt water fresh. So everything will be healed and live wherever the river goes. Sounds like a reversal of the usual Levitical pattern, right? Fishermen will stand by it from Ein Gedi to Ein Eglaim. It will be a place for spreading of nets. Their fish will be of many different kinds, like the fish of the great sea, a huge quantity. Its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be set aside for salt. On the river, on its bank, on this side and that side will grow every tree, every kind of tree for food. What does that remind us of? The, the garden, right? Its leaf will not wither. Its fruit will not fail. It will bear new fruit every month because its water flows out from the sanctuary. Its fruit will be for food and its leaf will be for healing. Wow. Again, food, right? It's not so ordinary, right? It's part of God's order. It's part of God's healing and even divine reversal of going from death to life, right? From something that is ordinary to something that is holy and full of God's presence. It sounds like the tree of life. It sounds like a return to Eden. But notice also the direction, the directional flow from death to life coming from the temple, the holy presence of God. This reminds us, of course, 
of the ministry of Yeshua, the Messiah. What did he do? There was a woman who was unclean, right? She had the life force. She had blood flowing out of her. And in the Levitical order, natural order, if he touched her, that would have made him what? That would have made him unclean. But he was so filled with the presence of God that like this river in Ezekiel, it went from death to life. It went from unclean to clean. It went the other way. And all of us who cling to Yeshua are moving in that direction. We are going from death to life. Amen? Um, there's an interesting story here that involves uh, one, of our, one of our animals we've been mentioning um, and involves uh, what's called unclean spirits in, in the Gospels. And uh, I think uh, Mark in particular uses the term unclean spirits to, to, as a reference to Leviticus because these are evil forces that Yeshua is casting out, is sending out. But notice that they are also unclean, and so they should not be in holy space, right? They should not be among Israel, and as we will see, they should not even be among the Gentiles. This is from Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. This is a Gentile territory. As soon as Yeshua got out of the boat, a man from the graveyard with an unclean spirit Notice that Mark uses the word unclean for this evil spirit, uh, met him. He lived among the tombs and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but the chains had been ripped apart by him and the shackles broken. No one was strong enough to tame him. And through it all, night and day, at the graveyard and in the mountains, he kept screaming and gashing himself with stones. When he saw Yeshua from a distance, he ran and bowed before him. Crying out with a loud voice, he said, What's between you and me, Yeshua, Ben El Elyon? I'm warning you in the name of God, do not torment me. For Yeshua had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Yeshua began questioning him, What is your name? And he answered, My name is Legion, for we are many. He kept begging him to not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of Mr. Piggy. Right. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside nearby. The unclean spirits urged him, saying, send us to the pigs so we may enter them. Unclean spirit for an unclean animal. Makes sense, right? So Yeshua gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the cliff and were drowned in the sea. For a non-Jew in particular, in this passage in Mark, Yeshua makes it clear that unclean spirits don't belong in them either. For the Gentiles are not unclean, although this was a common Jewish stereotype at the time. We remember um, Peter's, Peter had that stereotype of calling the Gentiles unclean, and God had to kind of remind him, no, I, don't, don't do that, right? Don't do that, because I'm putting on the Gentiles, what? My holy spirit, spirit of holiness, right? But we see unclean spirits, evil spirits do not belong in humans who are made in the holy image of God. So while there is a maintaining of the distinctions between Israel and the nations in the Bible, and there's a maintaining of the distinctions between various kinds of animals 
and unclean and clean animals. There is a care and there is a compassion for all Jew and Gentile. And there is an overall move toward what? Unity and shalom and holiness in the created order as it was in the Garden of Eden. So what can we do? Let's show a reverence for life and for the lives of animals in, in creation that, we, that we're stewarding. Let's invite God into the intimate decisions of our lives, such as what we eat. And um, let's work and pray for unity and shalom in our relationships, in our communities. And uh, let's remember that we who are in Yeshua, Jew and Gentile, are going from death to life. Let's pray. Avinu, our Father, we thank you for um, the the beauty of your Torah and the 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 messages and the um, the values that we see in it, and uh, just help us to to live these things out, Lord, and help us to um, to grow in intimacy with you. Help us to uh, revere life. Help us to um, <clears throat> be respectful of of the distinctions that you have made in creation. Um, to work toward unity and shalom and uh, and holiness, oh God, um, that you would be all in all. And we thank you that um, when we read the gospel accounts, we see we see your son Yeshua, um, and we read about this remarkable move of going from unclean to clean, and uh, that your kingdom is full of holiness. Your kingdom is full of of goodness and order and shalom, where natural enemies um, that are in the animal kingdom are lying down together. And so we pray that the enmity and the animosity would cease and that you would help us to, to have shalom in our relationships through Yeshua the Messiah. And in his name we pray. Amen.